There's a phrase that if you keep swinging, you hit a home run at some point in time or another, right? And, um, and I, I, uh, I want to tell you about a home run that I hit one time. And, uh, and I don't often, uh, you know, kind of pat myself on the back because obviously it was God's, it was God's uh, direction anyway. But in August of 2019, I hit what I consider to be a home run. And that was the day that I hired our next-gen pastor, Daniel Asella. Uh, yeah, so um, I can't think of anybody in this world I'd rather have to be the youth pastor for our teenagers, and I'll just tell you this, I've got two of my own in there, so I say that for my children as well. Pastor Dan Lasella and Paris are phenomenal people, and they're doing an amazing job, and I'm so glad they're on this team, along with everybody else who's on this amazing team. So why don't you guys greet with me, and, and, and uh, welcome to the stage to bring the word today, my friend, Pastor Dan Lasella. And his 27-gallon water jug that he brings with him to bring the word. Here you go. All right, brother. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Guys, stay hydrated, right? Amen. Um, <laughs> oh, so I'm excited. I, uh, well, first of all, I just want to honor uh, Pastor Terry for giving me the you know, privilege and opportunity to come before you guys to preach here at this pulpit. I don't take it lightly whenever uh, any pastor lets me to come up and, and speak behind their pulpit. It's a very sacred thing. It's not just something that's flippant or something that's kind of mundane, but it's a holy process. And so I don't take it lightly. And so, um, so I'm excited to bring uh, to add to the series, the comfort food series that we're in. I believe we're in week three. Uh, I'm usually back there with the kids, so some of you, you're like, I don't even know who this guy is, and, uh, but I'm usually back there preaching to the kids on Sunday or helping out, and, uh, and yes, and I preach to our youth, and let me tell you something, God is moving immensely in our next-gen world that honestly, like I, I'm telling you, there's people left and right that are getting saved, kids that are calling me up that they're saying, hey, can you give me a call, and I'm calling, I'm talking with them, and they just got saved, they accepted Jesus in their heart because they were taking in what we were teaching them on Sunday morning and taking it at home and and awesome parents are processing their lessons with their children and helping discipling them and you're seeing the fruit of that of the word of God being born inside of all of our kids and our youth having people seeing them get saved I, I I I wish I had a video and more pictures to show you that our youth on Wednesday nights that we're worshiping and and uh, Casey and Chad do a great job of leading worship for our youth and uh, and our kids are at the altar praying over each other seeking the face of God there's holy tears you know, saturating that carpet in there because we're experiencing coming face to face with God. And so I just want to, you know, just share that with you because it's some of the stuff that you guys don't see, but God is on the move in our next generation. Amen? Amen. It's, it is awesome to see. So it's a privilege and an honor to be able to do that here in this house. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, yeah, I'm uh, Pastor Dan, uh, and, uh, and I want to shout out to my lovely wife, Paris. Uh, she's sitting over there in the front row. Hey, honey, how you doing? <laughs> it's hard to see up here. It's like, <laughs> like, wait a minute. Uh, so anyways, uh, so we're going to be talking today. Uh, the title of the message I have today is called Between the Trees. Between the Trees. And it just so happened as we were up here, I was up here worshiping, I looked at it, I was like, actually, we have two trees 
right here. So it kind of goes along right here with the message. But anyways, the verse that I want to kind of tackle today, we're going to be reading, it's going to be in Luke 17, and I'm going to do 3 through 6 to give you a little bit of context, but really it's that verse 6 we're going to hone in uh, today. And so uh, that verse goes like this. This is Luke 17, 3 through 6. It says, so watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. And even that person wrongs you seven times a day, and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. So the apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as the grain of a mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up from the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. All right, so, so there's this thing here where you can kind of see from the Scripture that uh, the context there in, in the uh, couple of verses before verse 6 is that they're talking about forgiveness and dealing with those who wrong you and how to, that process works and then and talking about it. And I love the apostles' approach to that. It's like, I mean, so like this dude or this girl could like literally, you know, do the same thing seven times in the day and still ask forgiveness at each time and, and I'm still to forgive them. And they're like, well, increase our faith, God, because that's like, that's crazy, you know? And even the most holy people in the Old, uh, in the Old Testament or in, you know, in that time period, the priests and the Sadducees and them, they, they would say that, you know, you're really doing good if you could forgive somebody up to like three times in one day. So Jesus is saying seven, which we know the word, the number seven is the number of completion. So he's saying, you know, no matter how many times really, if they come to you with a sincere heart and ask for forgiveness, you are to forgive them. And so the apostles like increase our faith. And so you see Jesus' response to that, and we're going to dive into that. But an interesting thing that if you were looking at any other translation other than the King James Version, your translation might say instead of sycamine tree, it might is actually, it would say mulberry tree. And we're going to dive into that as far as what does that all mean and why is there these different names of the trees because there's a reason to it. But anyways, dealing with forgiveness is a routine maintenance for every Christian on the planet, right? We live in a fallen world with imperfect humans who do things that hurt others and hurt is extended back to them and the cycle keeps going. And the simple phrase that I love uh, that's a truth is that hurt people hurt people. It's just the truth. And those things that are inside of us when we're dealing with hurts and pains and unforgiveness, it will lash out and hurt others around you. It's like an infection. It is contagious if we do not deal with it. Now, that word rebuke, when you read in there, when Jesus is like, hey, you know, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. It isn't like, you know, in the Three Stooges, you see Mo go up to Curly, like, what's the matter with you? You know, and then they start slapping him across the face and, you know, get in their face or treat them like as if they were the devil with skin on. Uh, rebuking, actually, in the Greek, is talking about that word is actually meaning to speak frankly, honestly, and politely as you tell your per, uh, uh, person you know, or the person who maybe wronged you, whatever, your feelings. So the rebuke isn't like this thing where like, you know, and just like attack somebody, you know, like, yeah. And that's, I don't know why the three stooges just kind of come in my mind when you see Mo occur, like, what's the matter with you? You know, it, it isn't like that. It was to speak frankly and politely and honestly to the person. That's what, a, that's what a rebuke is. Whenever you correct somebody, it says to correct them with gentleness, right? There's this essence here where we're dealing with family, we're dealing with people that, that God loves, that are made in the image of God. And we should approach things with that reverence. I find comfort in this verse because Jesus states a few amazing promises that I want to dive into and empower you 
to deal with these bitter roots that are trying to steal your joy, your peace, and righteousness. So the importance of forgiveness. Needless to say, that forgiveness is an imperative uh, to exercise in order to reach our full potential in Jesus. The importance of this is spoken multiple times throughout Scripture, and I don't have the time to go through every single verse, but there's a few I'm going to point out of how Christ tells us how to deal with people who maybe have hurt us or are causing, you know, maybe something uh, hurt and harm and strife inside of our hearts. Now, the word forgive in the Greek is aphemi, which means to set free, to release, to discharge, to liberate completely is what forgiveness means. So when Jesus talks about and uses the word forgive, that is the essence of that word so god takes forgiveness so seriously that he was willing to give his only begotten son to die as a sacrifice to make it possible to forgive you and me of our sins that sinks in there if you're a parent in the house imagining how far you would go to walk in forgiveness with somebody. God was willing to give up his only begotten son to be sacrificed and hand him over and to be tortured and nailed to a cross to pay a price so that way he can forgive you so that way it could be a legitimate forgiveness. I, I don't know about you, but man, if I had a child, it would be really hard for me to want to give that child up just so I could forgive people who actually wronged me and betrayed me. That's pretty hard. That's, that's, that's how serious God is about forgiveness that his son was not even untouchable. And he said, now Matthew 26, 28 says this. This is in the Last Supper. And it says, for this is my blood, Jesus is saying, of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is confirming. He's in full agreement with the Father saying, I understand the price. And in order for forgiveness to happen for your sins, my blood has to be poured out. This is intensity that God means business when it comes to forgiveness. In order for God to forgive you and I of our wrongdoing and, and, and mistakes, he had to suffer greatly. Who are we to say forgiveness is not uh, happening for some people, and yet uh, believers, we have been greatly forgiven ourselves. What kind of pride must we have really deep-seated inside of our hearts to be such forgiven people? All Every believer in this house has received the grace and mercy of Jesus, accepted it, and has now reaped the fruits and benefits of that and the freedom of it, we of all people should understand that what forgiveness and how it should be extended to all people. Because we have been greatly forgiven ourselves. Man, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, it says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know about you, that, that, make, that makes a little trembling going on. Working out your uh, salvation with fear and trembling, as they say. I'm like, oh, oh wait a minute here. You know, it, it, it goes so deep. And Jesus furthered the whole issue. He furthers it in Matthew 18 with a parable of the unforgiving debtor. And I'm just going to paraphrase it. But it basically, there's, there's a servant who owes this master a ton of money. It was like millions and millions of dollars in like today's money. And he comes to them and he says, oh, please, master, please. Like, I, I, I beg you, please. I have a family and this and that. I can't pay this debt. And then the master says, okay, I, I forgive your debt. But then this servant goes off and finds the other servant who owes him a couple thousand dollars and chokes hold him up against the wall and starts telling him, you better pay me this or I'm going to throw you in prison and this and that. And then all of a sudden the master finds out about it. He says, you wicked servant. He goes, I forgave you of all of this 
And you had this little bit that this person owed you, and you threw them in prison. I'm going to throw you in prison until you pay it back in full. And with there's great torture and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus says after that, he goes, and so will the Father do to you if you don't forgive. Ooh, that's deep. The importance of forgiveness. During the Sermon of the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about people having issue, the urgency and priority of seeking reconciliation. And Matthew 5, um, 21 through 24 says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. We all can agree with that. But I say, if you are even angry with somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. It's like, whoa, you know. (laughs) So uh, that word that Jesus uses in 522 for hell in verse 22, it actually is the word Gehenna. Now, culturally, I just want to give a little cultural context here. The Valley of Gehenna is outside the city of Jerusalem, which basically was like this trash heap. It was like their junkyard. It was their, you know, landfill, so to speak. And there'd be garbage just everywhere. And, uh, and, and it would be, you know, really stinky. There'd be all kinds of things. There'd be like, uh, you know, people with diseases or outcasts would be scrummaging through it. And they would light it on fire because they wanted to just kind of burn it up to kind of stop the stench. But it would actually increase the stench, and it would smoke for like months and months and months. And, uh, and so he's trying to say... He's trying to say that, listen, even if you say, now he would say, if you call somebody a fool, which is what the verse say, if you call somebody a fool, or raka, is, it was the actual term, if you call somebody a fool and stuff, you're in danger of the fires of hell. He's talking about the fires of this trash heap, that your life, that the way you treat people when you're calling people these names and just being nasty with people, your life smells of the stench of burning piles of trash. Versus the incense from the altar that was going on in the temple, which was sweet incense to the Lord from those sacrifices. But that smells like unto God, like just trash heaps on fire. Hot garbage, as they call it, right? (laughs) And so there's this thing here where when you live a lifestyle verbally attacking people around you, your life is like that. It smells of it. Having hatred in the heart is no good. So he goes on to say this. In verse 23, and this is important because that's context to this scripture. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. This is a huge statement. (laughs) He's saying it's imperative that we make peace with the brother in the Lord or sister in the Lord, the word offering was referring to how Jewish people sacrificed because they were worshiping God or that they were actually, uh, you know, covering their sins. You know, that's why they would sacrifice with the blood of animals. God's essentially saying it's better for you to try to make peace with your brother and sister first before you would actually begin worship with me and begin to actually try to ask for forgiveness and try to make right with me. He goes, you need to at least attempt and try to get right with your brother and reconcile. That God's like, I'm not going to receive that sacrifice. So don't waste the animal and don't waste your time. Stop where you're at because this is more important. And it's like this essence when Jesus said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And it makes it serious business. It made me think, I'm like, wow, I, I wonder if we would examine our hearts before worship on Sunday morning and say, God, is there any offense I have in my heart towards another brother or sister in this place? that we would make it a priority to go to them before we would even begin to start singing these songs and this and that, which are so important. But I want to honor God with my worship. 
I want to honor him, not just worship in song and all this, but also with my life, with my actions. And that has to come first. You could sing all day, but if you live like terribly and completely opposite and everything contrary to his word, it doesn't honor Jesus. And there's this thing here that whenever we come, there needs to be a reverence. And I can't imagine, I wonder what the church would look like as a whole if we would begin to take this process seriously and say that, you know what, before I go in there and do that, there's something I have with a brother or something that they did and they wronged me and they might not even know. But I need to talk to them and just let them know and and tell them, hey, this really hurt me, hurt my heart. And you win each other over. It's this huge thing that God is saying there is an importance level on this. Where will we be as the church? Where will we be? Could you see it? Instead of hiding everything behind smiles and masks. And, and, and what that is, is just, it's deception. Yes, it is. You're just following in the devil's footsteps of deception. Of just hiding these things and just trying to, well, I'm just trying to keep the peace. We were never called to keep the peace. We we're called to make peace. And that is what we are called to do. It is on the opposition. It is progressing forward. It's saying that I'm not going to allow these things to be swept underneath a rug, but I'm going to go ahead before this person because I love them and I honor them and I want to be honest with them. I don't want to be deceiving or deceptive. I want to be honest and truthful and share with a loving heart and gentleness. That this happened, let's heal it. Get rid of it. Because if not, it will start to grow and seep. And more and more things will begin to tack on. on. And it will fester and grow like an infection. Paul even said, you know, he was talking to the Corinthians. And and this whole story in the context of this, when he says, hey, when you take communion, examine your hearts. Examine your hearts. Because when you examine your hearts, if you don't, you may be drinking judgment upon yourself. And he said, and that's why some of you get sick and some of you even die. And this is a warning. Paul's saying, he's speaking this from the Holy Spirit. This isn't just Paul's opinion, like, well, I, I think that's probably why it's happening. He's speaking, right? Because we believe every word in this book is God breathed. It is from the Holy Spirit. And he used men to go ahead and just be the writing instruments. But it's straight from the heart and throne room of God. And he begins to say, You wonder why. But let me tell you what was going on. When they were doing communion, it would be they would meet in houses. And what was going on is that actually people were not getting anything for communion. Communion. And others were getting way too much. Some people were getting drunk off the wine. Some people were becoming gluttons. And others didn't get anything because of preference and treatment. So they would say, well, I don't like so-and-so over here. So we're, we're not, you know, if they get anything, they get something. And then others were just overindulging. And Paul was saying, and he was seeing to the heart, you're doing this and slighting other brothers and sisters of holy communion. He goes, so when you take communion... He goes over with them. He goes, you need to examine your heart because you don't, little do you know you're drinking judgment upon yourself and that's why you're experiencing some of these things. Yes, we live in a fallen world and we deal with sickness and disease and all those things, but some of the cases is because we're not examining our hearts and making sure we're right with God and right with our fellow brothers and sisters. And so you're drinking judgment upon yourself. This is the way how it works. This is how God views this. Now, does that mean that every time someone's mad at you, dislikes you, that your worship is null and void? You know, not, you know, somebody just be mad at you for whatever, you know, for something you don't even know or this or that. It's when you know that there's an issue or problem. And in that context that Jesus was saying that when you call someone all these names, that's you knowing that I have a problem with this person. I've called them names. I've been dealing with this or there's been name calling or there's been kind of that whole thing. But he's saying like, not necessarily 
there's this thing where if someone's just mad at you, all of a sudden just nullifies my worship. It's saying that there's this thing that when you know, therefore you're responsible, and therefore you need to go and, and try to reconcile. Even, so if the person you try to reconcile with, if they're like, no, I'm good, I don't want to reconcile, you know, I, I, I still don't like you, I hate your guts, you know, or something like that. It's like, okay, love you, brother, but um, I did my part. And God will honor that, and so it won't nullify you, or you won't be imprisoned by somebody's unforgiveness or unreconciliation. But, and that's between, them, then that's between them and God, and they're going to have to work that out. But there's that essence there where we have to still show up and do our part, saying, if I know there's an issue, whether I have an offense with somebody or somebody offended me, and they might not even know that they offended me, I'm going to go to them and just talk to them and try to hear their heart on the matter and reach to that agreement. Reconciliation. Now, in First John, this is the last verse as far as for this. is First John 4.20 says, If someone says that I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Needless to say, out of all of that, I said all of that to say that God takes forgiveness very seriously. Very seriously. So uh, how can I forgive and what does it look like, right? You know, because forgiveness is all kinds of different levels. All kinds of different things may have happened to us. But, you know, I love this phrase that it's not about necessarily, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control what happens through you. And that's the honest to goodness truth. Life will happen. Things will happen. And, and some of us are like, you know what, I don't know if I want to forgive because I feel like I'm letting them off the hook or I want them to pay in some kind of way. But, you know, that kind of unforgiveness is like this. You drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's, it's imperative. I think Abraham Lincoln talked about having unforgiveness is like letting a, a bee sting you to death. Instead of swatting the bee away and dealing with the bee, you just let it keep stinging you and letting its poison keep getting into you until eventually you, your body can't handle it anymore. Yep. And it takes you out. Forgiving is not forgetting. The goal is, so you hear that, forgive and forget, right? And, it, but it's not this sense of like that I'm in denial of what happened. Like, oh, it happened, you know, it's just like, oh, that never actually happened. You know, that never, you know, it's not like that. What it is is that it's like this. The goal is not to have hatred or malice or bitterness in our hearts, but what happened is what happened. We can't control what happened to us, but we can trap what went through us. So meaning, I understand that that happened to me. I'm not in denial about it, but I'm believing God to see through that I would have no malice or hatred in my heart that when I even think of that person or that person's name comes up, that that malice and bitterness and anger would not be there. And that's part of God that he'll be able to do that work to be free from that. And it's a process. Because here's the thing. When we remember it and God has had his finished work in it, it becomes an amazing testimony to help other believers deal with unforgiveness. But if we just deny it, like, oh, it just never happened, it just never happened, it's the truth. It, it did happen, but I don't have anger and malice or revengeful heart towards that person. And, and I guard them. When I share my testimony about this person who wronged me, I'm not saying and sharing their name from the rooftop saying, oh, well, pray for so-and-so because they did all this stuff to me and you're naming their names. I guard them because I say, you know what? Who they were that might, you know, five years ago is not who they are now. And I know that they're following Jesus and they're going after and they're growing just like me. I'm not going to go ahead and just start spewing out their name. I'm going to keep that private. I'm just going to share that this happened to me. I can share what happened to me and how me and God walked through it to overcome this bitterness and unforgiveness. Love holds no records of wrongs. 
and nobody is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. We joyfully resolve never to throw the sin back into the face of the one who committed it. Who pr- we promise never to hold it over their head and use it to manipulate and to shame them. How many times, I, I mean, I, when I hear some, some, you know, we talk to some married couples or this or that, or, you, you know, it's like you've ever been in an argument and all of a sudden you use the whole, the, the two words you should never, ever use. You always do this. You never do this, right? And what is that? That's holding all the things. I've been keeping a record. Voila. Look at this one I just pulled out. 101 times you never, whatever, put the toilet seat down or whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. Right? These, these minor offenses or these minor things. But there's this thing here where whenever sometimes in the heat of an argument or something could be happening, all of a sudden you go there and you were like, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. You know, it just comes out. You never, you always, right? That's holding the records of wrong. And we've all been there, but it's this thing where we got to go deeper in the sense of, wait a minute, am I keeping a track record of this person? Am I using it to say, well, you're not going to get this or you're not going to do this or whatever because I'm going to hold it as a shameful thing over you to manipulate you so I can get my way. The Bible says that manipulation is witchcraft. Anything that is done to control another human being, to put them under your power, is witchcraft. It's not all boil, boil, toil, and trouble, you know, like underneath with a pot and all that. It's also dealing with that thing where you begin to speak and, and to manipulate people to control them. So forgiving is not trusting. Trust is something earned, and when broken, it has to be earned back. You know, I've seen some people that say, well, you've got to forgive them, and then you've got to completely, like, you know, just be completely vulnerable with them, like, the very next day. And I, no, 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 no. No, trust is earned. In relationship, it is earned. And that's something that is developed over time and through consistency of love and honor and respect. And there's this thing that can build, build back. And that's the thing that I want to, you know, release some of you. That some of you are like, well, I don't want to forgive them because I don't want to ever, I can't trust them again. Maybe you had somebody steal from you or betray you. Maybe, you know, shared confident information that you only shared with them. And then you're like, I don't really know. Yeah, it's okay to set up boundaries after they mess up or they, they abuse that privilege, right? It's okay to have those boundaries. Now, forgiveness is, uh, I love this. Is, forgiveness is not a feeling. See, some people, uh, that some will say, like, well, I don't feel like forgiving. I just don't feel it. I just can't right now. I just can't. That's like a popular phrase. I just can't. And uh, I don't feel like I can forgive them. See, forgiveness, guys, is a process. Yes, and you know when the work is finished, when you think of that person and the hatred and malice is gone. God wants you to work towards forgiving and by faith seeking healing in your heart. One amazing step that, I, that I've learned to do in my life when someone has severely wronged me and I'm like, and I am really hurting over it, is that my knee-jerk reaction now that I had to train and renew my mind to do, my knee-jerk reaction is to then begin to pray for that person. 
You'll be surprised that whenever you begin to drop on your knees and begin to pray for somebody, even if it's your enemy or somebody who's been so malicious against you, you begin to pray for them. Watch what God does, the miracle inside of your heart to turn things around. And actually, you almost become kind of a cheerleader for this person because you've been partnering with God for their success, for them to overcome, for them to grow in Jesus, to overcome those things and to be a better version of themselves in Christ Jesus. And that is the victory, not pulling down and tearing down somebody not spreading gossip, not going around, well, be careful because, you know, so-and-so. That isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the devil's news about people around you because they are the accuser of the brethren. That is the thing. Are you partnering with God or are you partnering with the devil? Are you partnering with God's gospel or are you speaking the gossip of the devil? Those are things you have to decide in your heart of where you're going to stand and what line in the sand will you be because guess what? Bitter water and sweet water doesn't come out of the same spigot. You've got to nail it down. Where is your heart, church? Praying for that individual. Everything in me does not feel, but I know what my responsibility is. I forgive them, not because they earn it, but because I want to obey Jesus. He's my first love. See how that transcends? Jesus comes first. He's above all. And so because of that, I want to put him. He has the first place. And so I, no matter what wrong, I understand, but I got to get freedom in forgiveness. And I'm going to do it because God has called me to do it. We just went over the importance of it. If I love him, I'm going to obey him. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. There's no outs, there's no buts, there's no loopholes in that you can pull from. So, between the trees, right? My comfort food verse is actually Luke 17, 6, and I'll reread it again. It says, and the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So again, like I said, if you have the King James Version, that's what you're going off of, bless you, you know, that's what you're going to see. But if you have any other kind of version, bless you, okay, and, but you're not going to see sycamine tree, and we're going to go through that. Why did Jesus pick the sycamine tree to say in this example? I mean, he was a carpenter, right? He knew wood, okay? He knew trees. He worked with it. He knew the difference between oak, poplar, pine, you know? So why did he use the sycamine tree? He was an expert. This was an expert in his field, okay? Besides the fact that he's God in flesh. But, but there's this thing here where he knew wood, all right? <laughs> he, he was about his, his other father's business too, which was carpentry. So, uh, <laughs> so that's the translation. So actually, uh, where do we get sycamine? Actually, if you look in the Greek, in Luke 19.4, that's Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and he climbed a tree to see what he could see. That tree was a sycamore tree, not sycamine. And that's a different word that's used there for the sycamore fig tree. In Luke 17.6, it's uh, sucamino, which actually means sycamine tree, which the definition of that is resembling the form and foliage of the mulberry, but fruit resembling the fig. So that's why some translations have mulberry, because the definition of sycamine is a tree that looks a lot like a mulberry. So they put in mulberry because, like, well, it looks like a mulberry. And sycamine trees are really rare uh, in this day and age. So I find it interesting. Let's look at what a sycamine tree is. So they're, they're known to be very hard to kill. 
They could weather harsh conditions, grow very quickly. Even if you cut it down to the stump, it'll grow rapidly. They can grow up to about 30 feet tall. And uh, they have a deep root system. And actually, their root system forms actually able to harbor like a tank almost of water. So even during great drought, all right, it can survive. And great flooding, it can also hold its ground. Uh, so the sycamine tree, and you have to deal with its roots if you want to kill it. No wonder Jesus used this as a symbol of bitterness and specifically said to uproot it. Yeah. Because the whole context of this scripture verse is he's saying, they're saying, if someone wrongs you, you know, you're supposed to forgive them up to seven times. And the disciples are like, well, increase our faith, Jesus. I, I can't do that. Someone wrongs me once and I'm like ready to go. You know, I'm ready to like fist fight. But like he's trying to say, and his response was to this. And he talks about the sycamine tree and he's using it as this imagery of dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness. Sycamine trees were used to build caskets and coffins in Egypt and the Middle East. And, and harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in your life over decades of years is terrible for your health. There's actually a lot of proof now in science that talks about the thought life. Talks about Dr. Caroline Leaf has great books about your thought life and how it actually poisons. And every time you focus on these negative memories and you maul over it and you take it in that bitterness, it actually releases poison and starts to destroy your brain cells. It's, it's amazing this, this science, what they're coming up with, but it's all backing up what the Word of God already said thousands of years ago. And there's this thing here. He said, hey, it's going to be terrible for your health and send you to the grave sooner than expected. The imagery is, was made for caskets, this wood. Sycamine tree produced a fig that was very bitter to eat. The interesting thing about the sycamine tree is that its fruit looked almost exactly identical to the mulberry tree fig. And, uh, and it's foliage and everything. And so if you didn't know any better, you would walk up and you would grab a fig and you're like, oh, it's going to be really sweet. And, you know, we, most of us here have probably tried a fig or maybe you have, I don't know. But, but you try and it's like really sweet. It's like the candy of nature. But you try this fig and it's super bitter. So the cultural context is, is that the sweet fig was for the rich. The rich would go out, they would pick all the sweet figs from the mulberry tree fig, and they would have it on their tables. But the poor didn't get a chance because they were so expensive. So they would pick these other figs that were really bitter, and they couldn't eat it all in one sitting because it would just be making them really, really sick. They would actually take it and they would nibble on it like a snack. So really poor, that were really hungry, this was kind of like their snack to try to get by in between meals. So they would grab the bitter fruit and nibble on it and hang on to it, work the fields and something and nibble. See, it's this interesting thing that whenever we deal with bitterness and unforgiveness, sometimes it's like how we're poor in spirit and we're grabbing the bitter figs and nibble and maul over what they did to me. How oh, I'm, I'm a victim of this. And they did, I can't believe this. And nibble. And you start harboring and sucking on the bitterness. But those that understand that they're royalty in Jesus, that are set free, that are royal priesthood, that are a part of his inheritance, his riches, they're like rich in the spirit that they don't have to have the bitter fruit. They can choose the sweet fruit. And what kind of fruit comes from a tree? From a bad tree comes bad fruit. From a good tree comes good fruit. It always happens the way Jesus says. And so you have that. And what kind of tree 
Will you be in your life? Will you be a part of, you know, the, will you be the sycamine tree who goes around with bitterness and produces bitter fruit over and over and gives it to other people and they nibble on that bitterness? Or will you be like the mulberry fig tree and be able to produce good fruit that would enrich people's lives and be able to be something sweet? And when they experience your fruit, it's something that is sweet because it's been touched by God's presence and his restoration and his healing and his work in your life. There's this thing here where we got to start looking at what kind of tree, because we're between the trees. And some of us might be, yeah, we have some bitterness and unforgiveness, but you know what? We're on our way becoming over here to this tree to be the mulberry fig. There is a process, and God is with you every step of the way if you would stay with him. Hallelujah. And the last thing about sycamine trees is interesting. Sycamine trees, their fruit actually is not naturally pollinated. They're actually pollinated by wasps stinging into the heart of the fruit. So the poison of the wasp pollinates the fruit of the fig, which creates it to be bitter. How the enemy comes in and sting, sting, and pollinates the bitter fruit in your life. and keeps stinging. And you don't hold it back. You don't fight it off. You keep letting it sting. Yeah, that's right. They did. They did hurt, you know. And you see how that thing, how they torture. The enemy tortures you. It keeps you confined in bitterness and unforgiveness and traps you in it. So you're ineffective and your fruit's bitter. And you're actually, in a way, you might be serving and you might love Jesus and all this. But, man, you have all this bitterness and unforgiveness. And he's able to trap you in that and to make your fruit ineffective. And it doesn't do and help the spreading of the gospel or the kingdom of Jesus. And you start, and that's the way. If he can't stop you from conversion and to becoming a believer, he will try to halt your progress to affecting those around you. Because every Christian is potent with promise and the gospel, and it changes lives when you live it out. And the last bit there with Jesus, when he talks about, you know, the, he goes, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be planted in the sea, and it should obey you. The reason why he called the sea is because the only way to kill a sycamine tree is to be uprooted, but it has to be thrown into the sea. Because if you throw it into a trash heap, like in Gehenna, you throw it into something else, it'll actually start to grow its roots again and replant because it's so resilient. But you throw it in the salt water, the salt water actually will kill the plant and nullify it from it ever actually ever taking root again. Wow. Jesus is very intentional. He doesn't just stare at these stories like, well, that's, yeah, just look at this tree here. Yeah, yeah, it's like this, you know. And I think with us in, in our English culture and stuff, we look at it and we're like, oh, yeah, I get the general concept. It's hard to pull up a tree from its roots. But, man, when you get the cultural and historical context, because Jesus was preaching to Jewish people who understood the sycamine tree as like how we understand, you know, the oak tree, you know, and acorns and everything else. So it's like he's able to speak to that. And it's such depth of what God's trying to speak to us. I love this because this verse is very comforting and it's hope-filled. Why? Because Jesus is saying that with the tiniest bit of faith, Right, because the disciples said, well, Jesus, you better increase our faith. Because I, I can't forgive somebody who does the same wrong thing towards me seven times in one day. Increase it. And Jesus says, listen, even if you have the tiniest bit of faith of a mustard seed, right? The tiniest seed out there is the mustard seed. Even if you have the tiniest bit of faith. And we know that God's given everybody here a measure of faith. So he's basically saying you all got the proper amount of measurement in order to do this, what I'm about to tell you. That everybody here has that measure, that tiny, at least that tiny bit of measure to be able to turn around, look at that sycamine tree, that root of bitterness, that tree of bitterness in your life and say, uproot and be cast into the sea. It's so comforting. 
He's given you this faith, right? You have the authority to speak to the sycamine trees of your heart and your mind and speak to them to be uprooted and removed and be cast out. There is freedom from bitterness and resentment, freedom to be filled with joy and peace no matter what was done to you. This is good news, folks. This is good news to be free from that. Because let me tell you something, whenever people do this wrong to you, whenever they say this and this, whenever you live in that kind of resentment and bitterness, what happens when you carry that kind of fruit and people come in contact with you, that starts happening and lashing out on others around you. You start actually supporting the legacy of the wrong that was done to you because of how you live your life and how you're affecting and it spreads to your family, to your kids, to your loved ones. And it could have been someone far away and years ago, but their legacy is still living on inside of you because you decide to keep nibbling on the bitterness and keep letting the wasp sting you and you become the sycamine tree but let me tell you something when you are in Christ Jesus you are a powerful powerful person because God has given you authority and powerful people do not allow other people to control them and when wrong is done to you or done to me you have the authority to be able to speak to it and say listen I will not allow your unlovingness your your malice your bitterness your anger to control me, to give that right back to you. I can control myself, and I, because what, this, my, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I'm able to turn to you and love you back. Your love and your level of love does not define or shape my love. You cannot control me. You cannot manipulate me. I have power and authority in Christ Jesus to love you, and your love does not have to define my love. That is what you have and is accessible to you. We just sang about it with the song Champion. Right? I have the authority that Christ has given me. I own, I open up my mouth. Miracles come shooting out, right? There's that whole thing, that essence. And it was a confirmation to me when I was doing worship. I was like, oh my gosh, this song was confirmation when I was speaking. Because the whole comfort verse is that you have the ability to speak to the sycamine trees in your heart and in your mind and tell them to uproot and go into the sea. I'm tired of being controlled. I'm tired of living out that legacy of that hurt and pain that somebody gave me. And I know that Christ has given me freedom to walk in and that I can rise above it. And that that way it doesn't extend to future relationships that I have, to future kids or to my kids or to, you know, your future spouse or to your spouse and and, and making them suffer for the crimes of somebody else. Be the chain breaker. In the hurt and the pain that was done to you, be the chain breaker to stop it and shield your family. Jesus said, it's the faith of a mustard seed. You have the faith to do it. The shield of faith. Use the shield of faith to stand in there and to shield your heart from those bitterness and that unforgiveness and that malice and shield your family from them getting attacked and getting those arrows too. And do not become the worst enemy. And you take that and embody that bitterness and attack them. I've seen it happen where people take it out on those that they love the most. Come home from maybe work or something and their boss was on them or something bad and then they come in and they carry it into the house and, and lash out. Treat them bad, manipulate this and that. The enemy knows. Yes. It just builds. 
Yeah. When you've done all that you can, stand. That's from the scripture. When you've done all that you can, all I can do then, when I've done everything I can, I stand and I just say, God, you know my heart. You know my actions. You know what I've done. Free me. And the relationship and all that other stuff going on, I have to stand. I have to stand in what, he, what his word says. I have to stand. Remember, this is a church that Paul was talking to, that Jesus was speaking to. These are people that are getting persecuted and killed, strung up, dipped in tar, burned alive, hung up in the streets to be streetlights. And he's speaking to them and he's saying, you have to forgive them. The people that are searching out, hunting down your kids and your wife and your family trying to kill you for believing in me, you have to stand in that. And that is a, like, whoa, that's a tall order. Us in this life, man, we don't understand just how easy it is compared to there in that season. It's like, wow, the, the, the audacity But God is saying, I am worth it. I'm worth it. Follow me. The word that I've given you is a light in your path and a lamp into your feet. And when darkness surrounds you and all of that, you have this. When we allow bitterness and stuff to come in, we not only start you know, dealing with that person, but usually then start targeting other people that look like or remind you of that person. And people start pulling in these memories. I mean, I have heard that when I do the chaplaincy in these businesses, I hear people and they're talking, man, you know, this, this woman hurt my heart and broke my heart, and so just, I hate all women, you know, and, or, or the, you know, the opposite, I hate all men, or, or they hate certain demographics and ethnicities and races because, well, somebody hurt me over here, and so I'm going to go ahead and just hold that over against all of them. The enemy is so into being divisive and changing it in. This is a process. Don't make no mistake. It's not an overnight light switch. It's a process. And that this whole thing is something that when we stand on, we know that Christ gave me the authority. Christ gave me the ability to say, okay, I'm believing in faith. I'm going to stand there. And this bitterness and this terrible stuff that happened to me, I'm going to begin to speak to that bitterness and begin to speak it out over and over and keep going after it. You will see in time. It may take years, but you will see in time chipping away, praying for that individual, doing those things where you're saying, I'm going to deal with it. I know all of us have things that we've walked through, but it's not worth selling the rest of your life down that road of bitterness because there's so much God has for you. Don't let those things rob you. Fight for it. Fight for that freedom. It's your responsibility. Just like Pastor Terry was teaching last week on anxiety, you have a part to play to deal with anxiety. We have a part to play with dealing with unforgiveness and maliciousness and bitterness and the things that have been done with us. Again, you can't always, nobody can control everything that's happened to them. But what goes through you, you have a say in it. So I say that with a humble heart walking through things myself and I say it with a humble heart I understand it's a process and some things didn't happen until six seven years later I saw a full restoration but that was only because of the grace of God so are you ready to rip those destructive roots clear of your heart so they won't be able to resurface again are you tired of those detrimental attitudes killing your joy stealing your peace nullifying your spiritual life are you tired of letting those things rob your worship experience and hurting your relationship with God? Because maybe even you hold things against God. And even some of the biggest things that I think, too, that we don't like sometimes we miss when we talk about unforgiveness is forgiving ourselves. Amen. Having and be able, some of you it might be a lot easier to forgive other people, but man, when it comes to yourself and what you see in that mirror, 
and the things that the enemy tries to remember when you did that. Remember this? You knew better. It's only by the grace of God it keeps you intact. Again, these are the words of God. And this is what I remember when in my study time, I remember I had a very long session with God and just dealing with that and dealing with unforgiveness towards myself on things. And, uh, and I'm, sometimes it could be really hard and, and get, you know, really upset but, uh, at myself. But there's these things where I just sat there and was just, God, and just dealing. And it was this amazing healing time I had with him. But it was stuff that I've been harboring for years that sometimes it gets brought up. Yep. And you're like, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. Yeah. And you deal with it when you see it rear its head. Mm-hmm. But as I was in the process of preparing and kind of praying about what to pray or what to speak about today, this was the thing that bubbled up to the surface and the thing that was coming up to me, I was like, wow. And I, 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 uh, I remember the first time I really understood the concept was actually I was at a small group, and I was a young, young kid. I was probably like seven years old. And my dad and myself and some other gentleman was talking. And it was something along the lines, I want to say, of like musical instruments or something like that. I was learning how to play the drums at the time. And uh, I remember my dad, he just was being honest, and he just shared, you know, I always wish that I would have learned a musical instrument. And me being a kid and not really thinking, not understanding maybe the tonal things and the nuances of adult conversation, I was just like, oh, I said, it's easy, you know, just like you just start doing this. And I just started playing it out, you know, yeah, it's easy, you know, you just start doing this, this. And um, it got kind of awkward, but I didn't understand why. And then I remember we got in the car on the way home, (laughs) and my dad was super hurt. He was really hurt. Um, and I, what my words struck really deep inside of him, and uh, he was really silent. He couldn't even talk to me on the way home. And I was like, why is Dad acting weird? Like, he's usually pretty talkative, and then he's, like, silent. And my mom turns and says, you know, he just going to have to have a conversation with him when you get home. So when my dad cooled down, me and him had a talk, and he rebuked me, um, like according to the Bible. He rebuked me gently and just said, son, you know, when you did that, I felt very dishonored. And I felt that, you know, you were calling maybe my inability or maybe my weakness in trying to learn this instrument, calling it that it was easy and that it was, you know, no big deal. And you need to just do these five things and you'll just make it happen. And, uh, and it hurt my heart because I, I didn't know that I hurt his so much and I love my dad. When we have the heart... And when we approach people in the right way in gentleness, those of us that love Jesus should be that same kind of reaction. I didn't even know. I'm really sorry that that hurt your heart, and I want to be more sensitive to that. But our heart, when we're solid and want to follow Jesus, it leads us to reconciliation. And so that's just a story. I remember that was the first thing that really stood out to me. But church, it's time to raise our voice with authority. And declare to these attitudes that they will no longer dominate you. And if you must, speak to these attitudes and command them to go again and again and again until they are uprooted and removed forever. Because here's the comfort. That is a promise from Jesus himself. And so I know Jesus always makes good on his promises. So it takes the faith to walk it out day in and day out and just keep speaking to it. Until you see the fruit of whenever I think about those situations, I know it happened. It is the truth. But let me tell you something. The maliciousness and the bitterness and stuff is gone because here's the thing, and I'll end with this. 
whenever you talk to somebody, you ever met somebody, and they're wonderful people, and then you find out what they walked through. And you're like, I would have never guessed. You went through this abuse and this and all these things. I would have never guessed. And you got other people you've met and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you find out what they went through and you're like, well, that's why they're, they're the way that they are. <laughs> okay, it makes sense now. Okay, okay, now it's all piecing together, right? <laughs> Guys, I just want to tell you that in this whole process, that Jesus could make it be this way, that he could restore you and heal you in a way that people would never know your story. And then whenever you share the testimony, it brings full glory to God because you see how God fully healed and restored you as if that stuff never did happen. And it doesn't cause the bitterness to keep flying in other relationships around you. That is the goal. All right. So let's just pray and then um, I'll hand it over to PT. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you right now for every person. In this place, God, it is not an accident that they're here. And God, I pray that we would have the open minds and open hearts that the seed of your word, it's your words, not my words, it's your words, that be planted inside our hearts, it would be fertile soil. It wouldn't be seeds trampled on or the seeds that the enemy would steal, but it would be seeds planted in fertile soil and it would grow and it would bear deep roots and it would bear sweet fruit in our lives that we would look back years from now and fighting through these bitternesses and, and unforgiveness stuff that we're able to see the, the, the fruit of the mulberry fig, the, the sweet fruit and producing it and see how we're able to go through life free, free from this. My heart is that we would partner together and that we would move forward and that, that we would be a body of believers that whenever those things do rise up within our own ranks, that we're able to deal with it maturely honestly, and bringing the gentle rebuking of saying, hey, this, this really hurt, or this or that, instead of sweeping it under the rug and let it fester. But God, because it's for your glory that us as the church together, worshiping your name, living out your word, and doing the best that we can, striving for that, that following your example, God, that it brings glory to your name. And that is a main focus of us here, is to worship you, to make disciples, and to bring glory to your name. We thank you, Jesus, right now. And right now, all across this room, if there's something right now you have in your heart or unforgiveness, I encourage you with a brother or sister in this room or in your life, I I encourage you to go and to meet and to talk about those things and deal with it like God has commanded. And I tell you that whenever there's something else, and maybe you already did have the talk, but you still got the stuff going on in here, begin to speak to the sycamine trees inside of you and tell them to uproot. And I don't care if it's again and again and again, but lo and behold, you will find over time that it will, the sting will get lesser and lesser and the malice and anger get lower and lower until eventually when you think of it, you're like, wow, I, yeah, it happened, but I don't have have that anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness in my heart. I've been able to let it go and live in freedom from it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. I don't know. Oh, there you go. <laughs> wow. What a word, right? Can you guys give it up for Pastor Dan? That's some meat right there. That's some meat. Go ahead and stand to your feet. There's definitely some, some things I'm going to take home with me. That carrying the bitterness around with you and nibbling on it, man, that, that's going to stick with me. Some of you in here, 
This needs to be more than just a time you came to church and heard a really good word. This needs to be a time where you finally plucked it up from the root and got rid of it. One thing that he, he said, and I don't know if you caught it because he said it quickly, but he talked about how these trees, you could cut it off at the stump, but if the conditions are right, it can grow back to the size it was before you cut it. And that's how un- unforgiveness is, and that's how bitterness is. You can go through life and just keep taking wax at it and say, okay, I, I for, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and let this go. I'm going to try and let this go. I'm going to try and let this go. And you keep taking swats at it with the axe. But when the conditions are right, it will regrow and the fruit will reappear. So the only option is to pluck it from its root and deal. And the root is what started it to begin with. Deal with it and move on. Some of you have been trying to superficially forgive for years just to get on, just to move forward, just to get out from the hurt from it. But today, maybe what you have to do is take it from the root and say, this is why I'm hurt, this is what they did, and now I'm not going to let it have any more control over my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast it in the sea just like Pastor Dan pointed to in the Word of God. Some of you have been trying to get through it and get through it, but you have to, you have to go all in. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We'll get to the business meeting in a minute, okay? Food's not even here yet. It's on the way. We'll, we'll, we'll do that later. But I'm going to pray. And if you're here today and you've got something that you have against somebody else or even yourself, I'm going to say it one more time for those in the back that didn't hear that. You have something against someone else or even yourself. The altars are open. We have prayer people. They're going to stay where they're at. Maybe, maybe the prayer people, maybe you, need, maybe you need this too. Who knows? You know what I mean? Something, we got to let you guys respond to the altar call too sometimes. So when I pray, the altar's open. If you have something in your heart you need to cast out from the root, do it now. Do it now. Don't walk out of here with another freshly, freshly cut stump that could grow back. Get it from the root. Solve it now and move forward. Because God's got too much in store for you to keep whacking at the same tree over and over and over again. My friend, excellent word. Thank you for your, thank you for your word today. Father, we just take this to you. And God, we just pray as, as you see what's going on here. Some of us are really hurting. Some of us have these these sycamine trees of unforgiveness in our life that we just can't let go. But God, we need to. And some of you are like, Lord, I I, I don't even want to give up. Lord, help us to get to the place where maybe we don't want to forgive, but we want to want to forgive. Maybe that's the best we can do today. But God, as we just take time to cast these things at your feet and trust you to handle it, Lord, I pray that you would uproot it. Throw it into the sea. And I pray that something new and beautiful would take the place. Something that produces a a sweet fruit of gratitude, of gratefulness, of a fruit that isn't bitter, but it's sweet to your taste and ours. Thank you for this word. Let it change us from the inside out. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's get to the altar and let's worship God.